0: The reason you write books is because you want to figure out the subject, not because you know the subject. <laughs> That's the dirty secret of writing, you know, and it's true of scholarly writing as well as any other kind of writing. You write books because you want to know the answer, not because you do know the answer.
1: My name is Suzanne Morse Muma and I'm the director of the University of Virginia Press. Today, we welcome Daniel Mendelsohn, professor of literature at Bard College and the author of Three Rings, A Tale of Exile, Narrative, and Fate, just published by UVA Press, and Jahan Ramazani, university professor and Edgar F. Shannon, professor of English at the University of Virginia. Their conversation takes us on a journey across the ages as we follow Mendelssohn's beautifully written and powerful book that weaves together his personal story and the interlocking rings of three writers in exile. This book, at this time, reminds us of the regenerative power of literature, as Donna Rifkin writes in the Wall Street Journal, but also reassures us in our state of confusion and helplessness, aporia, that we will ultimately find truth And Illumination. We are delighted to welcome Daniel Mendelssohn and Jahan Ramazani to our podcast, UVA Press Presents.
2: I'm Jahan Ramazani, and I teach at the University of Virginia. And it's my pleasure today to have a distinguished guest with me to talk about a new book, um, Daniel Mendelsohn, who also happens to be an old friend of mine. Uh, Daniel, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes, sure.
0: I'm Daniel Mendelson. I'm a writer and a professor of literature at Bard College and a a uh, UVA alumnus, and I've known Jahan since we were both first-year students in 1978. So it's good to see you and talk about this new book.
2: So just to dive in, um, I was wondering if you just tell us what this wonderful new book, Three Rings, is about.
0: So this is a book I'd had in mind actually to write for a very long time, and it, it actually started when I was writing my 2017 memoir called An Odyssey, A Father, A Son, and an Epic, which is about how I spent what turned out to be the last year of my father's life, sort of reading the Odyssey with him. And there was originally a part of this book which had to do with the the history of people who were interested in the Odyssey, other writers over the centuries, millennia actually, And my editor finally said to me, you know, this book is growing two heads. You need to save this stuff and put it somewhere else. So what is the book about? At a surface level, the three rings of the title refers to three interlocked narratives. And they're all the stories of different writers over many centuries who in some way or the other bumped up against the Odyssey and each one was also in some way an exile. So the first one is Eric Auerbach, the German-Jewish literary critic and professor of literature who was forced to flee Germany in the mid-1930s uh, after losing his job as a literature professor uh, and ended up in Istanbul, where he then wrote what you know, many people acknowledge to be one of the really great works about the Western literary tradition, this book called *Mimesis* It's a very touching story. You know, here is this guy who is writing this sort of love song to Western civilization at the very moment when Western civilization was was tearing itself apart. And I thought there's a kind of poignant irony about that. And so he's the first figure. And... The second figure is a seventeenth, late 17th, early 18th century French archbishop, believe it or not, uh, who was a tutor to the grandchildren of Louis XIV, who wrote a, a book called The Adventures of Telemachus, which was published in 1699. And actually it's, it's a total fan fiction based on the Odyssey. So he takes the character of Odysseus's son, Telemachus, and he invents a whole narrative for him. The whole book was really uh, obviously a kind of a critique of Louis the Fourteenth in various ways, and he was sent packing from court after the book was published. And the third character is the German novelist um, W.G. Sebald, who's a great favorite of mine. Who was not a exile technically, but you might call him a self-exile. He was very tormented about uh, the German. Uh, role uh, in the extermination of European Jewry, and he left Germany uh, and he went to England, where he spent the rest of his life. And he wrote these novels, which are these sort of tortured narratives of wandering and these sort of impossible journeys that go in circles and don't end up any place. And in that sense, they're kind of very Odyssean, you might say. And what ties all of these? stories together is the fact that they're all exiled. They're all interested in storytelling and narrative and sort of adaptation. And they're all touched by the Odyssey itself in different ways. But, and here's a sort of punchline, which I don't want to go into too much because it's a sort of surprise at the end of the book. They all turn out to be connected in very elaborate ways to a fourth figure, a fourth Invisible Ring, which was a wonderful Turkish scholar and politician who in the 19th century created a work which, as you find out at the end of my book, sort of ties all of my three books together in a very surprising way. I'm, for many years now, I've been very interested in the way that we fashion stories to make sense of the chaos of our lives. And that, I would say, is the great theme of this book in some way, that these stories sort of touch each other in strange and coincidental ways, but one is also aware as one reads my book about these three figures that I am sort of forcing the narrative to highlight these coincidences. So I'm sort of constantly raising the question in this book about where does life end and narrative begin?
2: And of course, the ring is also a figure for uh, what you talk about uh, quite a bit in the book, namely ring composition, right? And I I was wondering if you could um, say a little bit about how that became a fascination of yours, these stories that have a kind of narrative arc that perpetually turns back on itself. Why do you think you became interested in narratives that circle back on themselves? So
0: ring composition is actually a formal term in classics, and it has to do with the style of storytelling that Homer uses. You start telling story A, and you're noodling along and then you have to stop story a at some point in order to tell story b which somehow explains some necessary information that you need to make sense of story a and so then you go back in time and you talk about story b and then maybe story b will need some explanation so you have to open up another bubble and that would be story c but the narrator ultimately comes back from story C to story B and finally lands in story A again. So it's like a big circle. You've gone in a big circle, but of course each of those narratives sheds some kind of light on the main narrative. So it looks like digression, but of course a digression is never a digression. And so I got very interested in this. I mean, it's a very natural kind of storytelling for me. And, you know, in my Holocaust book, The Lost, I talk a lot about my grandfather. My maternal grandfather was a wonderful storyteller, not an educated person, but a natural raconteur. Uh, And he, you know, without knowing anything about Homer, that was how he told a story, you know. And so it was sort of part of my DNA as a listener growing up. He would say, well, you know, there's this tragic family story. But in order to understand the tragedy, you really need to go back a generation and know why they hated each other. And but, you know, so I was sort of used to this. Then, of course, I go to UVA and I study classics. And I realize people have been doing this for a very long time. It's something I use in my own books. One of the things about ring composition that's very interesting is... It makes everything feel overdetermined. And I'm very interested and somewhat tormented by, I think, the tension between what we know from our own experience to be the accidental nature of life, the haphazard, the contingent, the accidental, and the way that for a story to work, while you're in it, everything needs to feel random, but it has to get you somewhere that's predetermined. And that's what I'm trying to work out in this book because the three subjects of my book, these three writers, their lives feel as though they were subject to the accidents of history and yet I force them into this structure which makes them all connected, you know? So the book is sort of enacting in a way the artificiality of a narrative that I'm very aware of and slightly worried about.
2: And that's one of the beautiful things about this book, that it's not merely about ring composition, but it does precisely enact it in itself. You constantly recur to these same uh, images, tropes, uh, phrases, the exile, the cave, the wolf the model, being hunted, the Holocaust, or even, indeed, the initial passage in the book, which you beautifully return to. Did you mind maybe reading that?
0: Yeah, I've got it in front of me. So this is the first paragraph of the book, but it keeps recurring at the beginning of different sections, at the beginning of each of the three sections. And it goes like this. A stranger arrives in an unknown city after a long voyage. He has been separated from his family for some time. Somewhere there is a wife, perhaps a child. The journey has been a troubled one, and the stranger is tired. He stops before the building that is to be his home, and then begins walking toward it, the final short leg of the improbably meandering way that has led him here. Slowly, he makes his progress through the arch that yawns before him, soon growing indistinguishable from its darkness, like a character in a myth disappearing into the jaws of some fabulous monster or into the barren sea. He moves with difficulty, his shoulders hunched by the weight of the bags he is carrying. Their contents are everything he owns now. He had had to pack quickly. What do they contain? Why has he come? So that's the first paragraph of the book and it as I said it repeats. Now when I wrote this, I was thinking of Auerbach, I was thinking of Fenelon, I was thinking of WG Zabald, these guys who packed their bags and had to go to some new place without knowing what it is. But I actually I wanted to describe those people in a way that would also be a description of Odysseus but would also be a description of other people not least the refugees of world war ii the refugees of other cataclysms through history and this idea of wandering and displacement and not knowing where you're ending up that's my family story that's a lot of people's family story you know immigrants refugees and i just couldn't shake it and is a very important part of the book because it's also something that happens in storytelling This idea of a character whose past you can guess at, whose future you don't know, I mean, that's how every story starts. That's what gets you interested in a story. So, you know, repetition, but slight variation, those are things I talk about a lot in the book. You know, how do you how do you keep a narrative on track? And how do you also create a sense of accident or variety? sometimes when you're a writer you do those things deliberately those are usually the times that it's not successful you know sometimes your mind has a coherence that you're not aware of and so sometimes you surprise yourself so in this book there's a lot about the biblical passage about the sacrifice of isaac is mentioned by Eric Auerbach in his first chapter of his great work on Western literature, because he doesn't like Homer's ring composition, which he finds too overdetermined. And he prefers the narrative in Genesis of the sacrifice of Isaac, partly because it doesn't tell you a lot. And so I talk about that. And then in a later passage where I'm talking about the childhood memories of games we used to play in my neighborhood and a certain family that had a tragedy that I was sort of very um, compelled by. And the name of this family is Isaacson. Now, that's really their name, you know. But as I was reading the final proofs of the book. I thought, God, if this were a novel, I couldn't make it up any better because I had just spent the first part of the book talking about the sacrifice of Isaac, and then in the second part of the book, this family becomes very important, named Isaacson. You know, so there's I think it's a fascination to me the way that the mind works. You know, there were other things in my childhood I could have talked about, but I'm sure some unconscious part of me reached for this story about the Isaacsons because I had Isaac in my mind, you know, so it's interesting for me in this book, because this book is about how a narrative takes accidents and turns them into structure, you know, something deliberate and willed.
2: You referred to the way in which the book melds uh, these different genres. And on the one hand, it seems uh, to be engaged in a kind of literary critical exercise, and on the other hand, uh, it's obviously engaged in kind of excavation of your own past and your own process. So I I was wondering if you could say a little bit about this decision that you make, obviously at a certain point, to cross uh, those genre boundaries. You seem very happy uh, mixing and melding them.
0: This is now my fourth work of whatever you want to call it, memoir, narrative, nonfiction, in which I entwine a thread about certain works of literature, a thread about history, and another thread about my own past, my family, my family history, you know, and try to make sense of how all those things come together. I mean, it's it's in some sense an effort to understand, you know, just why it is we do what we do and what we bring to it. And it seems to me the only way for me to write about that is to put in the book myself, what I'm interested in, their stories, what I know about their stories, and just to see what happens. This book is really trying to confront what is the right way to tell a story and what is your obligation to truth as you perceive it. If people love a good story, that immediately entails a danger in a storyteller, which is to make the story a little bit better, to make the people happy. You know. And it's haunted all of my memoiristic books, particularly in my Holocaust book, The Loss, where I was already very worried about the tension between an obligation to the truth or the facts as well as one can know them and the demand to be telling a good story for one's readers. So every writer, even nonfiction writers, you know, are making decisions, not, well, I guess I was going to say not falsifying, but, you know, every, all edits are falsifying If you're telling a true story, you can't put everything you know. You have to shape it. You have to make it into a story. And so the stakes are particularly high, but it it still haunts me, you know, why we get interested in what we're interested in and how we bring to the task of writing about what interests us everything that we are. All that stuff is there, whether we admit it or not. I'm not so sure 30 years ago I would have admitted it you know, you want to feel like you've sprung fully grown out of the head of Zeus, like Athena. But, you know, as I get older, I'm more interested and more curious in just why we think about what we love, whether it's, you know, literature, video games, I don't care what it is, in the way that we do.
2: Well, you do it in such a way that it's so intricate and interlaced and you know, gorgeously patterned, uh, and uh, it ends up being such a satisfying work to read. And um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to add? Well, I think it would be interesting just to mention,
0: you know, it's funny, I'm a classicist who's very suspicious of Western triumphalism, I know very well where Western culture ends, or at least one of the places Western culture ends, so I have no illusions about the greatness of Western culture. So on the one hand, this is a book about three Europeans, but all of these characters, my three rings, have stories that are... Involved in some way with East West conflicts. You know, Auerbach is a German who ran away to Istanbul to write his great book about Western literature. Fenelon was writing at a time of during interminable wars between the Ottoman Empire and European states. In fact, two of his brothers fought against the Ottoman Turks uh, in the 17th century. There's a kind of a little nagging thread that runs through the book where I just keep mentioning, you know, these interminable wars between the West and the East. And the the sort of punchline of the whole book is that the figure who connects my three characters, who are all from wildly different eras, whose lives never touch, is in fact not a Westerner, but a Turk. And so these three Europeans in the end are indebted to this Eastern figure who wrote a text of his own that had incredible ramifications and and really connect all three figures in a very strange and surprising way at the end of the book. You know, the title of the book is almost a, a wink because it's not three rings. The whole end of the book is about this fourth figure, So it was important for me as the person very deliberately manipulating the stories that you read when you read this book to insert a little tartness about a too easy embrace of the greatness of the Western literary tradition. And, you know, I always come back to Auerbach and the poignancy of this guy writing this Ode to the greatness of the Western tradition and he had to run away from the West to do it because Europe was tearing itself into pieces in the same conflagration that absorbed my family, you know, all these dots are
2: connected. I didn't bring it up because I didn't want to give away the, the great surprise, but uh, the, the way in which the book straddles the East-West divide uh, is truly fascinating and suggests the way in which the West so often depends upon this other that, that enables Auerbach to write. And
0: Yeah, I feel, and authors are always the worst judges of their own work, but you know, I, I put everything that I know into this book both in terms of what's in my head right now and in terms of what I know about how to write a book.
2: Magnificent. It's It does feel to me in some ways that it offers a kind of master class on the art of writing. And So the book is called Three Rings. Daniel Mendelson, thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been such a great pleasure.
0: It's great to see you, Jahan. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you.
1: You can find Daniel Mendelssohn's book, Three Rings, A Tale of Exile, Narrative, and Fate at upress.virginia.edu or wherever books are sold. UVA Press Presents is a podcast by the University of Virginia Press and a member of the Virginia Audio Collective. Many thanks to Daniel Mendelsohn and Dr. Jahan Ramazani. UVA Press Presents is produced by Mary Garner McGee. Our theme music is Greylock from Blue Dot Sessions.